to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Well, today, April 6th, is the commemoration day in the church for artists Albrecht Dürer and Lucas Cranach. And I'm pretty excited to talk about artwork today, especially art of the Reformation, a whole lot of history and significance behind both of these men and the legacy that we still have today. Joining me to talk about both of these men is Dr. Daniel Harmelink, Executive Director of Concordia Historical Institute. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dr. Harmelink. It's great to be here, and it's great that you've got a fantastic German little accent there for the names, too, so good <laughs> job, Sarah. <laughs> all of my, all the singing diction comes in handy for uh, <laughs> pronouncing go. all these things. <laughs> So we have we have these two artists, Albrecht Durer and Lukas Kranach today. Let's let's start at the very at the very beginning. Why do we even have why do we commemorate artists? A lot of times these day, these days are for for saints in the church or people right. that we hear about in scripture. Why do we commemorate artists in the church? Well, I always argue that the fine art and music, these are fine gifts given by God to the church. And if we don't make uh, use of them and those who are artistically challenged or artistically gifted and are uh, musically gifted, then shame on us. So one of the things, if you go into a Lutheran church, hopefully you'll see an expression of the Christian faith in in visual art, in, in music. So again, we don't have bare walls or we don't believe that you know, God's commandment against images pertains to, for example, what we'll talk about today is, you know, portraits of the saints and, again, an expression of our Christian faith, the revelation of the prophets and apostles in visual arts. So people say, you know, people visit a Lutheran church when I was serving in Southern California, and they say, boy, you do a lot of singing in this church. And it's like, yeah, and we also uh, do a lot of, you know, presenting of the gospel of the Word of God in visual arts. So these people are important. I mean, they're they're part part and parcel of the saints that have gone before us, and it's good to commemorate the artists as well as the musicians in our church calendar. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the the legacy of of where we see their work today, and, and how that ties into Concordia Historical Institute. We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a little bit. But let's talk about the the life and work of these men first. So. W- they they lived about the same time, and they they're they're considered artists of the Reformation. Can you give us a little bit of of the history of both of these men? Sure. So Albert Dürer is uh, probably the most famous, and his portraits and his both paintings and especially his engravings, his prints, are in museums all over the world. So he was part. He was swept up in this uh, Renaissance, the 16th century Renaissance and basically became a voice for the exciting things that were happening with the Lutheran Reformation. So although he's not, he was not, you know, baptized in the Lutheran Church, did not have his, was not buried out of a Lutheran Church, Albert Durer was very sympathetic to the cause of Luther and the Lutheran Reformation. He, Luther, maybe once or twice, but he met Frederick the Wise a couple times, and his portraits of Martin Luther and Frederick, uh, Frederick the Wise, Luther's prince, also Philip Melanchthon, Luther's right-hand man, 
are iconic 500 years later. He was incredibly gifted, and the the images that we have of the reformers, many of them are prints, and the you know from the hand of Albert Durer. He was uh, he was in Nuremberg though, uh, which uh, continued to be until the Reformation came to Nuremberg, a, a Catholic part of uh, Germany. But the story is that uh, when he heard that Luther had been kidnapped, you know, this was after the Diet of Worms when Frederick the Wise kind of instigated a, a kidnapping of Luther to keep him safe. When when people heard that Luther had been taken or uh, kidnapped, they thought of the worst, and it was reported that. Albert Durer wept when he heard that Luther had been taken because he he feared for the worst and and knew that without Luther the cause of the Reformation you know it was all on shaky ground now. And what about so what about Lucas Cranach? Lucas Cranach was he has a very interesting history, and again if, if listeners have time to look him up and delve into the life of Lucas Cranach, it's it's remarkable. He was not only a fantastic artist, but he also had wore multiple hats in Wittenberg. So he was the, at one time mayor of the city. He had very m- many different business licenses. He was a fantastic businessman. He was the godparent to one of Luther's children and was the kind of best buds with Martin Luther. So we know that he, he was the you know, he lived in the same town, and the, the portraits of Luther were not only, you know, historically accurate, right? But Luther, Lucas Cranach, through those portraits, we see Luther the Reformer, Luther the the pastor, Luther the doctor of theology. So without Cranach, I, I tell people, during the lifetime of Martin Luther and Katie von Bora, Philip Melanchthon, Frederick the Wise, the Cranach and his studio had a monopoly on these portraits. And they were in such high demand that he couldn't keep up. He had to enlarge his studios because so many people wanted to see visually who this who this crazy little monk from Wittenberg was. And he, he his studio just couldn't keep up. So at the time of his eldest son's death, Hans Kron, who, who died fairly early, it was uh, announced at his funeral that he had painted a thousand portraits of Martin Luther. Whoa. So even though Cronach, uh, you know, did did have times to make sketches of the reformers. It was a Cronach studio in Wittenberg that basically had the lion's share of responsibility and opportunity when it came to, you know, who who was Mar- who was Martin Luther? What did he look like? Who was Katie von Bora, this nun that married to Martin Luther? And who was the Philip Melanchthon that reformed the educational system in Germany? So without Cronach, we really would not know a lot about who these people look like and you know what their what their personality what their stature look you know visually presented would look like mm-hmm. that is amazing what would what was the role of these artists in in luther's day very different from from how we have fine art now Great. yeah what exactly. what was that role for for these artists so both for Durer and Cronach, you know they would receive commissions to do their work so uh, they didn't just you know, sit around and paint something and hope that it's sold at the next, you know, uh, garage sale. They were basically employed. For example, Cronach was employed by Frederick the Wise to be the court painter. And, uh, you know, it was a prestigious position. 
but it was a lot of work. So during the time that Martin Luther produced the 95 Theses, Cronach was busy basically illustrating the catalog of all the thousands of relics Frederick the Wise had collected and uh, were on view on that uh, All Saints Day. You know, uh, Luther nailed the 95 Theses the, the day before. Frederick the Wise was to display all of these relics that uh, supposedly, you know, if you venerate it, you would get time off of purgatory. So everyone thinks that the 95 Theses was against Tetzel and against the selling of indulgences. But Luther did a very risky thing because Frederick the Wise had the, one of the largest collections of relics in Germany, and he was personally, you know, affected when Luther said the vener- veneration or these, you know, he had to pay to get in to see these relics. So this, you know, selling forgiveness or selling time off purgatory for for viewing uh, relics was also against Scripture. So Luther was doing a very risky thing with his 95 Theses. So Cronach was employed by Frederick the Wise. Again, he illustrated his catalog of relics. And then as the Reformation developed, Cronach uh, saw fairly early on that the the light of the gospel should also be what reflected in things like altarpieces and uh, portraits of the reformers and things like that. So he became under the, with the blessing of Frederick the Wise, became a painter of what the Lutheran Reformation was all about. Mm-hmm. What What would be some pieces that we would recognize from Cronach? I know there's there's lots of artwork from both of these men. What are some of the things that, that are recognizable for us today from Lucas Cronach? So I think it, those listeners who are in the St. Louis area, I would say, you know, if you have time, please come to the chapel at the International Center and see the uh, altarpiece, the reproduction that is now over the altar. Cronach, again, he, he had to go through the process of kind of uh, cleaning up his vision of the Christian faith as uh, Luther kind of tore away these add-ons that the, the Roman Catholic Church had added. But that altarpiece shows very clearly you know, what the law is, what the gospel is, what the revelation of uh, Christ in the in the Bible is all about, and the importance of the sacrament. That's all painted in there, and it's very intense. So some artists that kind of, you know, go off into their, into their imaginary world when they're doing art, but Cronach was more and more faithful as, he, as his career can develop, right, to clearly show what the scripture teaches, what salvation is all about in a visual way. So I'd, I'd say the International Center, or there is now a movement to take Cronach's work and digitize it all. Hmm. So if you go to Lucas Cronach, I think it's with a C, lucascronach.org, you can see this digital Cronach online resource. There are thousands now of paintings that have been digitized, and not only the paintings, but they have also taken special, like a X-ray machine or something like that, and you can see Cronach sketches underneath the painting itself to understand, you know, how did he develop these paintings? But it's just a phenomenal resource, and I think the world is, you know, the unbe- even the unbelieving world is recognizing more and more the uh, the artistic gift that uh, Cronach brought to not only the church, but the community as well. 
Yes, the altarpiece here at the International Center is beautiful. It's, it's so great to be able to see that every day. And, and yes, if you're in St. Louis, come come and look at it. Absolutely come to chapel and, and uh, look at that altarpiece. We have more to talk about about the, on the commemoration day of Albrecht Durer and Lucas Cronach. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're talking about the commemoration of Albrecht Durer and Lucas Cranach today. These are both artists from the Reformation era. Dr. Daniel Harmelink joining me, Executive Director of Concordia Historical Institute, talking about art history. This is, this is so fun to learn about some of the historical context of both of these artists. Before we went to break, we were talking about some of the work that we would recognize from Cronach. Now, what about Durer? What, what works would we recognize today from Durer? Again, I think his... His portrait of Martin Luther, the portrait of, of the, especially the the portrait of Philip Melanchthon, is basically the standard. This is what this is what uh, Philip Melanchthon looked like for the last 500 years. So, even the last big anniversary that Philip Melanchthon had was in 1997. They commemorated one of his uh, one of his either his birth date or death date, and the the then West German mint struck a 10 Deutschmark. That basically is that's Durer's, you know, portrait of Philip Melanchthon. So not the most uh, photogenic person in the world, but uh, recognizable very quickly because of uh, Durer's work. So again, Durer was the you know the the epitome of artistic you know graphic talent at the time of the Reformation. And again, you know, the printing press. I tell people the printing press not only printed the Luther's translation of the Bible, but it also printed more and more indulgences, you know, it can be used for good and uh, evil purposes too. So fortunately, the printing press was, this is what happened with the Cronach studio too. You know, there was such a demand that they they had to use prints or engravings because there you could do multiple impressions. You know, an oil painting would take, you know, days to do and it's just, you know, it's one-off. So the printing press also spread the image of Luther throughout Europe and beyond. So in that sense, uh, Durer was the, he was the top dog as far as the, you know, the, the Reformation time or the, the, the 16th century uh, the Reformation. Mm-hmm. So Cronach was the court painter. What was Durer's uh, role as an artist? He, he wasn't employed by the court, was he? Right, right. So he lived in Nuremberg, which was a free city, an imperial city. And his reputation was so big that, you know, he would have multiple people asking for portraits or paintings or engravings and things like that. So he could pick and choose a little better than the chronic was basically under the, you know, under the orders of Frederick the Wise. 
but yeah, Doer, Doer, I mean, he he would have Christian sponsors of art, and then he would also have others too. So I think the Cronach also kind of dabbled in that as far as, you know, he would do images from uh, fables or from classic literature that w- that had a resurgence in the in the time of the Renaissance or Reformation. But I think Cronach, Cronach's career was much closer to the Lutheran Reformation than Dewar. I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are non-Christians who don't give a lick about the Christian faith that, you know, are fans of, of Dewar. Uh, Cronach's a little more little, little more Christian in, in, in his work, at least throughout his career. And in the career of his whole studio, you know, some of those who followed him. Yeah, what is that legacy of of both of these men, but but Cronach especially with with the his <laughs> working so closely with the church? What was that legacy? His influence on other artists of his time? Right, it's interesting. You know, sometimes we think these people five hundred years ago are kind of dense, or they weren't as smart as we are now, but they still haven't figured out. We think of you know mass production. We think of Henry Ford in Detroit, but Cronach faced the same thing. These uh, portraits, these paintings of Martin Luther were in such high demand that um, he he had his studio kind of crank these out in a standardized way. So today, most critics believe that he would have the studio or people in his studio, maybe his sons or other people who were under his employ, basically do the paintings of Martin Luther and Katharina von Bora and Philip Melanchthon. But he would reserve to do the actual faith of the of the reformer. So how he did all of that, experts still don't know. So in the 16th century, there were more portraits painted of Martin Luther than any other person. Hmm. It was just, it was that, that big a deal. And again, you know, on a personal note, you know, it's like, okay, out of high school, I was, uh, you know, I learned the graphic art. So for me, the visual arts in the church are, are, again, a good gift from God, and we, we can learn so much from them. So again, in the, in the 16th century, you know, some people didn't read. Mm-hmm. So Bible even translated into German, you'd have to find someone who could read that to you in order to actually hear it. And the visual arts, you know, again, we're, we're so saddened with the fire at Notre Dame that a lot of the 16th century, you know, middle age visual arts, you know, it's, it's either was lost or it's in it at high risk now. But for the common people, you know, they would read, basically read the story of law, gospel, the scriptures, through through what the stained glass and what the, the art of the church presented to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Durer? Did he have a, the, a similar legacy with the artists that he would have worked with and around at his time? I'm sure he was an influence, but I I don't think there's a such a direct connection. Doer kind of you know again he he was he kind of followed where where he could get his highest commissions and you know kind of what what the Renaissance was was developing or things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think for for Cronach the more the more he was exposed to Luther and the Reformation the more the more Lutheran he became and and that's reflected in his art. Mm-hmm. And in the art, and, and in the art of his son. So again, when he died, for example, there's a there's an altarpiece in Gotha, I believe, or Weimar, I think, and it was 
begun by Cronach the Elder, but finished by Lucas Cronach the, the Younger. So you have to keep those guys, you know, it's kind of like senior and junior. Mm-hmm. So the altarpiece was finished by the by the junior, by the son. And sometimes even Cronach uh, would paint in uh, his family or, or other people in Wittenberg into the backgrounds of these altarpieces. So it's kind of a detective work to see, you know, maybe Cronach <laughs> included himself in in some aspect of these altar works. But again, they, they saw, even in the telling of scriptural stories, that this this had a direct effect on their, their day and age, you know, that the church continued. And I think sometimes we see that in Christian art today, that it's not only the saints that have gone before us, the prophets and apostles, but uh, also the saints to continue to, you know, be drawn into the eternal worship of, of Christ and His and His saving cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and both of these artists have work that if you go to an art museum, there's a good chance you're going to run across something from from one or both of these artists. They're they're part of our art history, our art culture still today, even, even as Cronach was uh, so heavily involved in the Reformation. Uh, you can still see his paintings. And I know there are, are some of his at uh, Concordia Historical Institute too, aren't there? Right. So we have two two museums. One's at the International Center, and that's a that's a permanent museum that shows that shows the history of the Missouri Synod. We're celebrating the 175th anniversary of the Synod this year, mm-hmm. so that's always good to to come and experience and review. So at the CHI building proper, which is on the Concordia Seminary campus, we also have a museum exhibit hall. But we try to uh, like every year, year and a half, we try to. Uh, switch that out and have a new exhibit. So right now, until June 1st of the summer, we're showing 50 portraits of the reformers. And these are, you know, Martin Luther and Katie Von Bora, Philip Melanchthon, Frederick the Wise. And uh, so these 50 portraits span the last 500 years. We're so delighted that the, one of the most recent donations to CHI is a uh, fan, in fantastic condition print from a copper engraving of Albert Durer, Frederick the Wise. And it's just in phenomenal shape, as I mentioned. So please come and see that if you've never seen a Durer up close. Out of all the museum exhibits that we've had at the CHI on the Concordia Seminary campus, Durer sets that we've previously shown. One, we have the set of the Passion of Christ. These are originals from the 16th century, and they're just in phenomenal shape. So if you've never seen one uh, in person, I mean, there's great things to say about the Internet, but (laughs) going to a museum and seeing these things in person, there's nothing that can touch that. So we'd love to... We have Cronach portraits of Martin and Katie, Philip Melanchthon, and these will be up until June. Again, we can't put them on permanent display. It's not good for the art. So this is a very unique opportunity to see how in the last 500 years, all the different ways that the reformers have been portrayed and how even the artists today have to work off the preliminary or the initial work of Cronach to get their bearing. So uh, these these two artists continue to be reflected in the art even today. If people are interested in finding more about Concordia Historical Institute, where should they go? Where, where can they find information about you? Sure. So our website is just, uh, it's all spelled out, concordiahistoricalinstitute.org, where the, uh, the building is open Monday through Friday, uh, 8.30 to 3.00. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Just uh, if I'm in the building, love to give you a special tour of the uh, portrait. 
And uh, yeah, feel free to give us a call, send us an email, and just show up. But please do that before July 1st so that you don't come and half of them are taken down and put back in, in safe storage. Oh. Absolutely. Dr. Hermelink, thank you so much for joining me today on the Coffee Hour to talk about Albrecht Durer and Lucas Kranach. Blessing, Sarah. Thanks again, and we'll commemorate together the good gifts given by God through these two artists. Absolutely. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.